The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
in the gardens. We love you, Lord.
invite you this morning to do a mental exercise. I'd like for you to, in the next little while, to put your place, your, yourself in the place of God. I want you to feel what you would feel if you were God in this situation as I tell you this story. You have appeared in the form of a burning bush to catch the attention of a shepherd named Moses. When he comes over to investigate, you tell him that you are designating him as the one to go to Pharaoh and tell him to turn your people loose. You have heard their cries, you've seen their affliction, and you want Moses to go and tell Pharaoh to let those people go. Moses doesn't object once or twice. He objects four times until you finally kind of lose patience with him and say, you're going to go. And I'll send your brother Aaron to be your mouthpiece and go with you. But you're going to go and you're going to confront Pharaoh and he's not going to listen to you. He's going to, he's going to turn you down. But I'm going to show my power. And I'm going to show him who's really God. So Moses goes. He gets Aaron. They go to Pharaoh. Our God says to let our people go. Pharaoh laughs him out of the court. So, to show who's God, you turn the Nile into blood. That doesn't phase him. So, they go back. Time after time, they go back. Every time, Pharaoh turns them down. You, you send a plague of frogs. You send a, a plague of flies. You send gnats. So thick that the people can't even breathe, but none of this affects your people out in the land of Goshen. They're immune. There's hail. There's a plague on the livestock. There's I don't like darkness, so dark that they can't see their hand in front of their faces. But again, the people in the land of Goshen are immune. You've protected them and taken care of them. Finally, because Pharaoh refuses to turn your people loose. Moses tells him, our God is going to kill all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt. He doesn't believe them. So that's exactly what happens. But again, your people are protected. Their firstborn do not die. By this time, Pharaoh turns and says, get out of here, go. I don't want you here anymore. And the people of Egypt are so, so tired of this that they give you all of their wealth. You plundered the land. And Moses leads you out of the land, and he leads you, God leads you, you lead them to the Red Sea. And your people start crying out, you just brought us out to... Let us die because the Egyptian army's behind us and they're going to kill us. But you stand between them and that army and then you split the Red Sea wide open and let your people walk through on dry land and then you get out of the way and the Egyptian army comes right in behind them and what do you do? You let the water go in and drown them, kill them, destroy them. Then your people start complaining, we don't like the water. So you give them sweet water. Then they start complaining they're hungry. So you give them manna from heaven and quail. 
You feed them. You take care of them. And you bring them to the, the foot of, the Mount, of Mount Sinai. And you tell Moses to explain to them that if they will worship you and you only, that you will take them, make a covenant with them, and take them to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. You'll make them a great nation. They'll be the head and not the tail. You'll make them like the sands of the sea. And they agree enthusiastically. So you've called Moses to the top of the mountain to give him the conditions that go with this covenant. And what are they doing down there? They're making a golden calf. And who's their ringleader? Moses' brother Aaron. And they're pointing at that calf and worshiping that calf and saying that that calf did all this stuff for them. Now, what's your reaction? I know what my reaction would be. My reaction would be, wipe you people out. Get rid of you. I'll start over. Or maybe better yet, I'll just leave the whole mess alone and let you all kill each other. But you know what? That isn't what our God said. No, instead... He tells Moses on the top of that mountain, I am the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious. I'm slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I keep steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But I will by no means clear the guilty. You see, our God promises justice with mercy. Well, believe me, we're Israel. You and I have all acted just like Israel. We complain about the blessings he gives us. They're not what we wanted. We, we make our own golden idols. It may be our career or money or prestige. It may be a hobby. It may be our politics. Whatever it is, it could be any one of a thousand things. But you see, every one of us deserves his wrath and condemnation because, as I said, we are Israel. But on the other side of that coin, we've also been that vindictive individual, like I was, that wants our pound of flesh when somebody's done us wrong. But has he given us what we deserve? Absolutely not. John 1, 7 says that the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. You see, our God came himself. He didn't send a representative this time. He came down himself and lived among us to show us how we are supposed to live out that life of mercy and grace. And then in the final act of servanthood, he went to the cross and died on our behalf. Folks, that's the God we worship. It's with him that we come to this table for fellowship. So who wouldn't want to come and serve a God like that? Who wouldn't run to him for salvation? So right now, in this quiet time, Let's confess our sinfulness and our selfishness, our stubbornness, and join him at this table of fellowship. Let's lay it all at the foot of the cross and celebrate our freedom from death 
because of what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege to address you as our Father. We confess that those stubborn Israelites are not any different from us. We're stiff-necked and self-willed. We're selfish and short-sighted and ungrateful. And we're sorry. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And most of all, thank you that you came to die in our place to set us free from sin and the death we so richly deserve. We take these emblems to remind us of what you've done for us. May we vow here and now to worship you and to have no other gods. May we treasure the fellowship that we're given with you and with your people around the globe. May we leave here strengthened and encouraged to be that city on a hill that shines forth your light to the dark and dying world around us. And it is in the victorious name of Jesus that we pray. This may be the dumbest question I've ever asked, but why is rain good for you? I mean, we all like it. Uh, how many of you like the smell of rain? Okay. It actually has a name. It's called petrichor. It is when the plant, animal, uh, plant oils and water mix, it creates a natural aromatherapy. It's good for our health. The pH of rainwater promotes good metabolism. It, it helps to detoxify us. It is good and it reduces air pollution. It cleans the air. When it's raining, the water drops are heavier than the pollution drops. So it, it pulls some of the pollutants down. Oh, and then there's that thing where it helps the grass grow and, you know, help us all live. There's that thing too, all right? Now, we all know rain is good for us, right? Can drought be good for us? Can we, be, can we learn and be, uh, find benefit in drought? We're in this series, Point of Impact. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Kings 18. So if you get your Bible out, uh, how many brought your Bibles? Lift them up, lift them up. We want to be a Bible-believing and a Bible-using church. Okay, we haven't said it in a while, so we got to we got to work on that. We want you to have an app we, or, or the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We will get you one. If you're joining us online or on the radio, I want to look at the idea of going without rain. And how does that impact us. Now keep your Bible open. We're going to start in first Kings 18, but we're going to bounce around all around there. So start with me in first Kings 18, start in verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go and look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time the servant said, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, Climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. As usual, context is king here. And we need to see what's going on all around this story. 
This is right after the infamous battle between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. If you look up in chapter 18, it's right there. This is where he went up against 400 prophets of Baal, and it really hinges on one phrase. Elijah tells the people of Israel, how long will you waver between two opinions? That's basically, he says, pick a side. If Baal is God, worship Baal. Fine. If God is God, worship God. Pick a side. Now, you and I might look at that as an outsider and go, why would, why in the world would they need to pick a side? Aren't they God's children? Well, let's find a little more context. Turn back a couple of pages to chapter 16, 1 Kings 16. Like I said, we're going to bounce all over the place, so stay there. 16, look in verse Excuse me, in verse 29, let's, uh, let's start in verse 29 of chapter 16 of 1 Kings. Ahab, son of Omri, began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 22 years, but Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. And as, as though it were not enough to follow the example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbal of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down in worship to Baal. First, Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any other king before him. Now, that's why this is such a a big deal that he has to make choices. Ahab has made some terrible choices. His first choice was his wife. He married a girl named Jezebel. Jezebel is not a popular name, nor is, we don't name our daughters Jezebel. We don't name our sons Judas. It's just that way. All right. That's why we don't do that. She was a bad person. She was a Phoenician woman and her dad was the ruler of Tyre and Sidon where Baal was a cult. It was a cult following and this guy right here, this is going to kind of be nerdy for you for a few minutes. In the Hebrew, it's called Baal. Later on, the Babylonians call him Bel or Baal. Bel like a ring a bell or Baal like get me out of jail, Baal. And so we end up calling him Baal a lot. That's how it is. But he was supposedly their god of fertility and their god of rain. He was an Egyptian and a Canaanite god, and he claimed, that guy claimed to be the king of all of their gods, the lowercase g gods, because he defeated their sea god, which was a god named Yam. And I'm not even making that up, all right? That was his name, Y-A-M-M. And he said he defeated them. But what is really interesting to me is early in Israel's history, this word Baal is not a bad word. It's not an apostasy. It actually translates to leader. In fact, you'll find Gideon later on in scripture. Gideon's other name is Jerubbaal. That was his Hebrew name. Why in the world would he would God add Baal to his name? Saul names one of his sons Ishbaal in 1 Chronicles 8. So the name wasn't bad. It meant leader. And until this time in history, it was good, and then it became evil. It was this part of history that changed it. But we started talking about rain and a rainstorm. Why is that important? Then look quickly over to 1 Kings 17. 
First Kings 17 verse one says there will be no rain for years. And the guy that makes this statement is a guy named Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. Elijah is a recognized name, but this is the first time we ever see him. He bursts on the scene with very little warning and a very dramatic entrance. He comes in. His name is Elijah. His name means my God is Yahweh. His name is a a shout in the face of Ahab. uh, Just a declaration that you're not listening. My God is Yahweh. Now, up until this point in history, God had used kings. Israel was whining, saying, we need a king. God said, you don't need a king. No, no, we want a king. It's not going to work out for you. But he let them have a king. All the other countries have a king. Why can't we have a king? That's basically what it boiled down to. All right. Well, the kings, if you follow, they, some are good, but a lot of them are bad. And it's at this point that Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and some of the prophets come on the scene. And God leads through them, not from a warrior standpoint, but somebody armed with the word of God. Now, why all that is important is Elijah just shows up. He makes this statement in chapter 17, verse one, and then he disappears. He does He goes away for three solid years. He walks in. Hey, my God, Yahweh, it's going to be dry for three years. Peace. And then that's how he went. It, he just disappears. He goes off into Zarephath, but Elijah defines the issue here. He, he calls out Baal and says, that guy's a fraud, and I'm going to call him out, and I'm going to attack him on his strongest point, rain. If he's the God of rain, I'm going to show you how good our God is. It's not going to rain. Elijah makes a case. Put your confidence in Yahweh. I think that's a great case. He tells the people of Israel, Put your confidence in God. Do we do that? Are we confident God is on our side? Now, you might be sitting there going, well, Don, I'm I'm at church on a Sunday morning. Of course I do. Yes, but do we know it down in our core that we trust God, we are confident in God, and he has first position in our life? Let's tag on something that Scott was talking about a few minutes. Let's play the role of God, okay? And let's survey Israel. Let's ask the people of Israel. Let's pass out a survey. Everybody answer and ask this question. Do you put your confidence in Yahweh? How would they answer? They might answer like, well, well yeah, we, we like God. Yeah, but he's, he's good, okay? Uh, but there's these other gods that are around here. So we kind of listen to them some too. So there's, there's a lot of them is our confidence based on what is going on around us or is it based on God? Because some people like to put their trust in, well, if we can get everything fixed around us, it'll all be better. It's not. We need to put our confidence and our trust in God. I'm going to make a statement. I put it on the back of your, your handout today. We will obey God's commands to the extent, to the degree that we believe his promises. I'm going to say that again. We will do what he says. We will obey him to the extent with which we trust his promises when our confidence is in him. You see, obedience is the fruit of trust. 
And that's the essence of this point of contact. Israel knew better. They knew better. They had seen God come through from the Red Sea to all of this. They'd seen him come through. They knew the promises. But somewhere in them, they took their eyes off of God and brought their eyes somewhere in this vicinity. You tracking with me? And it is in that moment, I think we are most like our ancestors, the Israelites. We take our eyes off of God and we start looking at what's going on around us. And we start trying to get our confidence here. And we slip into something I would call multi-theism. Now, we would never call it that. A multi-theism is, is a people that bow down to a lot of gods. And uh, we don't call it that. We call it stuff like, oh, me time. I needed some me time. And, and I, need to, I, I need to get comfortable. Don, you understand. I got to get my business running. Once I get my business running, I get all my ducks in a row. Then I'll serve God. Friends, ducks never get in a row. They never line up. They don't ever get in where we get it working. We call it stuff like social media or self-care. Now, hang on. Don't send me all kinds of emails about, but Don, we need to take care of ourselves and we need to exercise. I wholeheartedly agree. We do. We need to eat right. We need to exercise. We need to take care of ourselves, take our vitamins, all of that stuff. And, And that is the essence of what's going on here. They didn't quit God. They didn't abandon him. They just sort of added some other things in. Oh yeah, God, we'll do you on Saturday and we'll do Baal on Tuesday and we'll do Asherah on Thursday. They didn't abandon him. They just merged him with some other gods. Now we would never say we would do that, but let's be honest. Does God have preeminence in our life? Does anything equal his position? Because when we start putting other things up with him, we're going to end up with a lot of dry ground. You see, there is no middle ground between loyalty to God and loyalty to other rivals. God doesn't do open relationships. He wants a singular focus. He is a jealous God, not in an angry, bad husband kind of a way. He is a jealous God that says, I want the best for you. I want you to have only the best. I love what Scott was saying. Here, go back to Israel. Israel's 400 years in slavery, right? They've been slaves for a long, long time. Please, God, get us out of this. Get us out of this. So Moses comes along, gets them out of this. Within three days, they're saying, hey, let's go back. Now let's go back to slavery. Uh, three days? All of the stuff you've just seen, and in three days, you're begging for slavery? Before we gripe at Israel, and I'm chiefest of gripers at that point, we got to look in the mirror. We say God is first in our life. But if we took time to look at your spending habits... Would that data back up that hypothesis? Don't get scared. I'm not coming to look at your W-2s. I don't know. That's you and God, all right? I don't care about that. That's between you and God. But would our spending, if we really took a hard case look at our spending, would it show that God is first in our life? What about our time? 
our, our schedules, our, our eye calendars. If we looked at that, would, would our calendar declare, oh, God's first in his life? What about our dreams? I want to get a boat one day. I want to go to this place one day. What about our marriage? What about your schooling? I have a lot of friends that are going through right now, getting masters. And, and it's very easy to, to say, oh, but Don, you know, I got kids. I got this masters. I'll get back to God when I get everything done. Now, look, everybody gets an ox in the, in the ditch sometimes. Every time, every once in a while, there are some things that knock us out. But does he have first position? Because there is no middle ground. Well, then let's get back to the rain story, shall we? And I'm in 1 Kings 18 now. Jump back over to 18 and pick up in verse 41. Elijah speaks to Ahab, okay? And it says right there that he speaks to Ahab from a standpoint that he's close to him. He's physically in contact with the king. He says, you need to go get something to eat and drink. But then watch what he does. He climbs back up on Mount Carmel. And he bows low. Friends, there is a posture to repentance. There is a physical posture to repentance. I surrender all includes my attitude. You hearing me? Now that's hard. Because, oh, well, I like God. No, have you surrendered all? What what has your posture been towards God lately? I'm not trying to add guilt to your week, okay? I'm just asking, when have we bowed low? Franklin said something a few minutes ago. Many of us have come in here and you're in deep, difficult seasons. Have you surrendered that season to God? He said, God, carry me in these moments. So Elijah tells his servant to go look toward the sea. Uh, He would have been looking west toward the Mediterranean. That's the direction the storms would have come. And he tells a servant, uh, go look, go look ahead. And Elijah calls on the promise on a couple of promises in first Kings 18 verse one, God says, go tell Ahab, I'm going to let it rain now. And then he calls on this one. And I wish we would get this one. Deuteronomy 28, 12. I wish we would get this one into our vernacular and our mindset. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens, and he will bless all the work you do. I wish this would be a memory verse for us that we need to be reminded he will give the rain at the right time. Now, listen to me, the servant, it says he told the servant to go look, right? And then they told him to do that seven times. And I've heard preachers say, Elijah prayed seven times, and this guy went and looked seven times. Technically, it doesn't say that. It just says he prayed. Maybe he did. I don't know. I don't think it really matters. But wouldn't it be logical to say that's an amount of time there? I doubt that he sent the servant now, now, how about now, now, now? I, I don't think it was like that. I think it was, hey, go look. There were some minutes or maybe even hours. Would it be fair to say there was an amount of time that elapsed there? And I want us to get this message. Friends, don't give up. Even if it's taking some time to see the promise that you believe God has given you. These people had waited three years already. A couple of hours, a few hours is probably not going to be that big of a deal, is it? 
He will give rain at the proper time. God will prevail. It will rain. It'll rain here in Portalis. I believe it. I believe it. And we need to be saying, thanks, my cone always shows. We're thanking God for the rain he's going to send. We need to have that mindset when it is the proper time. Because the rain is the evidence of God's authority. Baal was supposed to be the guy that provided rain. But God did it on his time. So you might be sitting there, okay, so Don, so we get everybody together and, and because it's really dry here and we're having all these water issues and we, we need to get everybody together and have a prayer meeting. You know what? I'm, I'm not opposed to that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't want you to think it's like some magic easy button. Oh, all we got to do is get everybody together. No, God will provide when he says it's time. I hear a lot of people say, oh man, we need revival in our country. Would that be a true statement? Absolutely. We need revival. Friends, we are not going to get revival in our country because we had a revival. Because we gathered everybody together and pushed it. No. Revival happens when people are truly repentant. When they are moved by the power of God. I've told you before, I love the stories of the Great Awakening in 1857. A guy named Jeremiah Lamphere. Go back and Google some of that stuff. Read it. It's amazing. How he started just praying at noon. And within six months, there's 50,000 people praying. And we're like, we want that to happen again. It's not a formula, people. It's God gave revival when people bowed down, when they truly obeyed. And maybe that's where we need to be. Now, Ahab was lollygagging. You can see uh, down there at the end of the story in chapter 18. You ever read stories and things just jump right off the page? I'm like, I've done this story a dozen times. Did you notice the part about Elijah running? Sometimes it's like, when did that get in there? Was that there all the time? I mean, it's that. So Elijah tells Ahab, you better get in your chariot and run back to Jezreel. It's 17 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. That's about a day's journey. 20 miles is about a day's journey and walking. I, Ahab is in his chariot. He is riding along. And here comes some old gray-haired preacher passing him. Not in a, you know, not in a Mustang 5.0, but he's just running on. What does that picture look like? I mean, how weird is that day? You just got passed by an old man. Can God do that today? I absolutely believe that. He can give special dispensations of strength today. I see him do it all the time. I believe he sustains us when we cannot make it any longer. In fact, that's where we need to be. Paul says several times, it is when I am weak that I am I'm strong. It is in my weakness that he shines through. So I will celebrate my weakness so he can be glorified. I believe he manages financial situations. He extends paychecks when we cannot make it to the end. I believe healing happens, not in some magic hit a button kind of a way, but when we surrender and we trust, not on our hard work, on his perfection. Friends, what was happening to Israel is happening to us. We are facing a fork in the road. Are we going to take a high one or are we going to take a low one? We have made some poor choices in our country. Is that a fair statement? 
I don't care blue, red. I don't care Republican, Democrat. I don't care about any, any, which side you're on. I think it would be fair to say we've made some poor choices in our country. But what if we took that statement a little deeper? Have you made poor choices in your life? Please don't raise your hand. I don't need to know all of that. Have we made poor choices in our personal lives? Friends, we will obey God's commands to the extent we trust his promises. Now, some people are going to face trouble and things are going to go haywire and they're going to get mad and stomp their feet and shake their fist at God and say, how come you abandoned me? And then others are going to be at their lowest point in their life and say, that's when I felt God the closest. When I couldn't make it another day, when I thought there were no more tears to be cried, God was carrying me. The footprints, little poem that everybody has on a plaque in your grandmother's bathroom somewhere, you know, that's... That's what that's about. He carries us. Which road will you take? The road of faith or the road of fear? Where is your confidence? Is it in situations or is it in him? Because I don't want you to think Elijah was a perfect guy. I want you to understand his confidence wavered too. Flip over to chapter 19, 1 Kings 19 Elijah falls apart the very next day, okay? If you follow in chapter 19, Ahab goes home, tells Jezebel, oh man, you can't believe what happened. He killed all 400 of them prophets, and then he went up there and he prayed, and then he passed me in my chariot. Man, this was a, now it's pouring rain out there. It's a wild day. And Jezebel says, by this time tomorrow, he's a dead man. I'm going to kill him. And look at verse 3. And at verse 3 it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. That's the same Elijah that yesterday defeated 400 prophets. Three years ago prayed and it hadn't rained in three years. Yesterday he prays and it rains. That's the very same guy the very next day is running for his life. Why would his faith waver? Because it's a, a powerful truth that we need to hear. Sometimes when there's a big win, there's often a big challenge. Frequently, when there is a big victory, there's often a temptation. I call it the church camp theology. We go to church camp. Everything's great. I'm running around with my church people. I'm reading Bible all the time. I'm driving down the mountain, and I'm already being tempted. I read a Native American proverb this week. It said, call on God, but row away from the rocks. You go, what? Call on God. We need to declare God's greatness and we need to look at him, but we need to get ourselves away from places that hurt us. True. You see, Israel was facing pain in their life because they wouldn't deal with the idol issue. Baal and Asherah. Let me ask, have we repeated the same behaviors? Do we flirt with other gods, lowercase g? Some statistics I found this week. It is estimated 40 million Americans visit pornography sites regularly. Porn makes $3,000 per second. CDC did a survey in 2012. 24 million Americans, they surveyed all across America, 24 million Americans aged 12 and up had 
participated in illicit drug use. That was in 2012. Ten years later, 2022, they do the survey again. Exact same question. It's now up to 38 million people. That's 16% of our, our population. Since 2000, in the United States, there have been, since the year 2000, there have been 850,000 deaths from overdoses, drug overdoses. And they say they estimate by 2024, by next year, it'll go over a million, just in 24 years. It's estimated there are 40 million people worldwide dealing with some form of slavery. We could read stats all day long. The question is this. It's not raining sin. It's pouring. There is sin everywhere. And there is problems everywhere. Our issue is God is calling us in Portalis to not live in fear, but to be confident in his promises. There we go. And he will never leave us. You see, I started working on this one, and I said this point of impact is, is, is really good because, you know, we're going to look at Israel. It's not necessarily about Israel. It's about us. Friends, yes, I get it. We are super dry, and we need rain. And it's easy to yell and scream. But will we trust that God is in control? Yes, there's problems in our country. Will we trust that God is in control? Will we put our money where our mouth is? That's really what it boils down to. Because that's a point of impact that you and I need to face today. We need to face it right now. Do we surrender all? The lyrics say, I surrender part. It doesn't work. I have to give him my all. Will you do that today? Father God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the blood of Christ that gives us hope. And I am so sorry for the other gods we have flirted with. May we surrender all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.